Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. So, I was driving last weekend to my base out in California, and I'm trying to make good use of time. It's like a four-hour drive, and so it's been cool because I've been loading up these podcasts, and I listen to them like at one and a half speed or double speed or whatever, just to plow through as many of them as I can, because I talk fast so I can listen fast, and sorry if I talk too fast. I was actually talking to someone earlier um, a few weeks ago, and and she was trying to write down something I was saying. She's like, can you please slow down? Um, But I was excited. Anyway, so I'm listening to these podcasts, and there's one I'm listening to from The Art of Manliness. I don't know if you guys listen to The Art of Manliness, any of you guys, but it's a favorite among our staff. A lot of cool things that he talks about on that podcast. And he was actually interviewing a hospice nurse um, about the process of dying. She had written a book about how people die. And she was talking about the misconceptions that people have from Hollywood that you see in the movies and everything else and and talking about the process of death as it really happens with all of her years of experience being with people in their final moments. And she was saying that um, one of the things about that people do is, is right before they die, and, it, and she's talking about kind of people that have protracted diseases that last for a while, but in the weeks and months before death, they will stop eating because the body doesn't want to eat anymore because the body is preparing for death. And so, um, because food brings you life and the body doesn't want life anymore, so the body just rejects food. So it's not that the person doesn't want to eat, it's that they can't eat. And so don't be surprised if people don't eat in the, the, the weeks before they're about to die. And then she was going on further to say that really what death, what for the process of, of death for most people um, who have at least a little bit of time, is that it's almost like you come into the world in, in, in labor. Your mother went to labor for you, so you should be grateful. And Mother's Day is coming up at some point, so make sure you say, you know, remember mom. Um, so bless her heart for going into labor to bring you into the world. But in the same way there's labor going into the world, there's a kind of a process of labor going out of the world. And the body goes through these processes of labor as it begins to basically expel you from it um, is what's basically happening. Is your, the, the, the body is slowly, slowly um, ebbing away. And so I'm, I'm listening to this in the car and it hits me that no matter what I do on this earth, no matter what I accomplish or what kind of car I drive or where I live or, or anything else that what, what I eat or how much I exercise or whatever, it hits me that this reality that she's talking about is inescapable and unavoidable for me. And that there will be a day, as she was describing, that I will, um, at some point, most likely, unless, you know, I befall some tragic death and fall off a cliff or something, but, but likely, as she was describing, I would end up on a bed or on a gurney and straining for my last breath. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this as I'm driving in the car, and, and it hits me as I'm, I'm thinking through this, that when the final moment actually comes and that last breath is finally taken, what becomes of me and why? Where do I go and how do I know? Now you might say, well, Tim, I mean, you're the pastor of Compass Church. If anyone should know the answer to that question, it's you. And I do know the answer to that question. I know what the Bible says. I know that the 
the, the mental answer, right? I know, I know how to say, well, I know what happens when you die. But I, I was actually trying to put myself in that position, you know, hooked up to a machine or, or un, as she was talking about how people, when they get close to death, they sleep so much that they actually sleep more than they're awake. And so that's why when they, when they are awake, they might say things that seem very strange to you, but they make perfect sense to them because they've been dreaming for 18 or 20 hours a day. And they're just, they're becoming, as she said, otherworldly. They're losing touch with this world slowly. And so in their minds, what they're thinking about makes perfect sense, but to you it doesn't. And so I'm thinking, and I'm trying to actually existentially put myself in that position and say, when that moment comes, how do I know? And what would that be like? And so when you actually put yourself in that position, it becomes, I think, necessary or natural to review, if you could say, review the confidence or what kind of hope you might have in that moment. You know what I'm saying? To, to review and say, okay, well, when this really happens, because she's making it very real for me, when it happens, can I really be sure about where do I go? And how do I know? How will I know? So, I bring this up, and it's almost like when you're taking off in an airplane, and if you're a little bit skittish about flying, and so you, you feel the forces pushing you back in your seat, and you feel the, the force pushing you down as the plane lifts off, and you have to remind yourself, okay, I remember that there's like, you know, and if you don't know these things, I mean, there's like, there's lift, and there's, there's a weight, and there's thrust, and there's drag, and there's, there's these, um, these forces physical forces that allow the plane to fly. And so you go, this feels weird, doesn't feel right, but I know for certain that these forces, when they're working correctly, then, then it, it's to be expected that the plane would fly. And so you, you review these things to have confidence in that when these moments arise, that you know exactly why you will be where you believe you will be. And so it's with that context in mind that I want to speak to you today about the story of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, because I would like you to always remember the story of the Passover as a linchpin and a benchmark and exhibit A and a foundation for you to have complete confidence, not just at the very end, but even today in your eternal destiny and why? And that that why would actually be this amazing reason that you would want to praise God, that you would want to be in awe of God, that you would go, man, this is amazing. This is so fluid. This, it's, it's, so, it's so fluid in terms of its logic. It's so solid in terms of its, uh, of its understanding. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I want you to write down one word in your notes. A one thing that one word that is the key word to this entire story. In fact, this is not only the key to the entire story, but it is the answer to how you can have complete and solid logical and intellectual and even emotional confidence when you get to the very end and you breathe your last of what will become of you and why. So this one word is so key to this story, and I want to, we're gonna come back to it over and over and over again, so I just wanna make it real simple for you today. And that one word is this. Substitute. Substitute. 
stand in, replacement. But the key word is substitute. I want you to think about that word. Because the same thing that saves the Israelites on the night of Passover is the same thing that saves you and me. And it indeed is the only way we can possibly be saved. And it is our guarantee that we are saved. And that word is substitute. And so the story of the Israelites walking straight out of Egypt is a landmark for us. And it begins at the Passover, which we're going to talk about today, and it ends with Jesus Christ. And it's all one beautiful picture. So God comes to Moses and, Moses, and says to Moses, look, I've, I've dealt out nine plagues and there's about to be a tenth. Gabe did a great job last week talking about these nine plagues. It's, so, it's such a wonderful thing to have a preaching team here. Um, you know, where it's not just me, but we can have different guys who, who just love Jesus and, are, and know what they're talking about. And so it, Gabe talked about the plagues last week, and so if you missed that, you may want to go back to our website. You can, you can watch that sermon. He did a fantastic job. But you have these nine plagues, and, and now God says to Moses, there's going to be a tenth. And this tenth one's going to be the kicker. This tenth one is going to be the one that actually is going to catalyze you guys walking out of here. But I'm going to tell you something. This tenth one is going to be brutal. It's going to rip the heart out of every Egyptian man and woman. It will be the worst thing that will ever happen in their lives. It will be the worst thing that they will ever experience in their lives. Because what I'm going to do on this 10th plague is I'm going to take the life of the firstborn of every family, both man and animal, and be gone. And so this is significant, by the way, because um, as we've discussed throughout this series, one of the reasons for this whole, this whole interplay between like God and, and Pharaoh is Pharaoh sets himself up as a small G God, as the one who's to be worshipped and revered and everything else. And God says, no, you're not a God. Um, I'm, I'm the God. I'm the only God. And so he proceeds to, to wipe out all of these gods and forces and authorities that the Egyptians would worship. And this one is kind of a three in one because Pharaoh's son would have been seen as a God and he's about to get whacked. Um, then you have the goddess of fertility, who's actually, his name is Isis, not, not the crazies out there, but um, the goddess of fertility, whose name was Isis, and she's about to get um, dethroned because this goddess of fertility is going to be seen as weak because all of these children are going to die. And then finally there's a god, Min, who is the god of um, uh, reproduction, and he's going to be seen as very weak as well. So God's going to basically just begin to wipe out all of these other small g gods. But the unmistakable point that's going to be made here is that there will be blood. There will be blood, and every single person, whether Egyptian or Israelite, is going to have to deal with the reality of blood being spilled. There will be blood everywhere, and it's going to be very, very bad. But as we said before throughout this series, we have a God who saves we have a God who loves to save. And so for the Israelites, he has a plan. And his plan is, rather than killing their firstborn, he's going to present them a substitute. He's going to offer them a substitute. And the substitute will be a lamb. And this is what he says about it. We'll read this in uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. This is all very important, by the way. You may take it up from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in killing an animal before. I'm sure you've all run over a squirrel or a cat. Oh, it doesn't really count. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. 
cat people are mad. Um, but, but if you've ever actually killed an animal, you know what it's like to see the life go out of their eyes, to watch them die. And I'm not a hunter at all, but, but those who, who hunt, and if you're a hunter, you know this, that while a lot of times people will criticize hunters and say they don't care about animals, that there's actually a great deal of respect that hunters have for the animals that they kill because they see that can actually go up close and personal and they can see what they're doing. And there's a, there's a respect, even like hunters out in Africa, when they hunt for food, it's like this food's for my family. They actually will like almost weep over the animal and they'll have a sense of gratitude for the animal because they know the animal's giving its life so that they can eat. And so there's a great deal of respect there. But it's, a, it's no small thing to take the life of an animal in any respect, um, and, and especially now as well, when it's all done together. And so, as Leviticus chapter 17 says, that the life is in the blood. Did you know that? So Leviticus 17 says the life is in the blood. Too bad they didn't read that 200 years ago when they were still bleeding people out to try to, to, try to save them. They didn't read Leviticus. They could have said, you know, you're taking the life out of them rather than, you know, than healing them. So anyway, but, they, but the Bible recognizes that life is in the blood. So they're going to go and they're going to slaughter this lamb. And then it says in verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Why? Because you're going to be ready to go. Be ready to go. Pack all your stuff. Put your shoes on. Get your little walking stick ready. Don't even bother. Let the bread rise. Eat it unleavened. Eat it quick. Eat it fast. Everyone says you've got to wait for your food to digest. Not tonight. You just eat that sucker quick because you're out of here. It's the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And remember we just talked about this. And all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Anybody else? Then verse 23, skip down a little bit. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, listen to this, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Why? Because you have a substitute. Because a substitute has been put in your place. Your firstborn children have been replaced and in their place has been put this lamb. And so this is, the Israelites learned right there on that night there's this cultural practice that would be in place for their entire cultural life. Even to this day, the commemoration of the Passover is, is key and critical. It marks their new year. The new, this, this is going to be a new year for you because it's a symbol of new life, another chance. It's powerful imagery that was built right into this act. And so, what is the lesson that they learned? The lesson that they learned and the lesson that we are to learn is this. The only way to be saved is to be covered by the blood of a substitute. The only way to be saved is to be covered by the blood of a substitute. It's what it takes to set you free. And so we look at the title of this message. That's what the title of the message is. What it takes to set you free. It takes a substitute. Shedding his blood to set you free. That's what it took on the night of Passover. And that's what it takes for us today. Just as God provided a substitute, a replacement for the Israelites, he has provided a substitute for us. And that substitute is fully capable of setting them free and setting us free from the hand of judgment. And for us, that substitute is none other than Jesus Christ. And here's what you need to know. 
Jesus Christ is our substitute. He is our Passover lamb. And just as the lamb, you notice earlier we said the lamb was without blemish. That lamb was without blemish. They said you better take one that looks really, really good. You can't find no flaw in because the lamb of God is without blemish. There's no flaw in him. That's what the scripture says. And so that, just as that lamb was a substitute, so our lamb is a substitute as well, without blemish. And the New Testament totally backs this up. And this is where this imagery becomes so powerful. You guys, listen to this. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 1 Peter 1.19 says, With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see the imagery? Harkening back to this, this incredible, momentous evening. 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In fact, the, did you know this? This blew me away. I didn't know this. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know this. I didn't make, connect the dots. But the very day that Jesus was crucified, think about this, 365 days in a year, the very day that Jesus was crucified, and his disciples didn't know, even know he was going to be crucified. Nobody could have planned this. Nobody could have like set this up like, I think we ought to just crucify him on this particular day. Was the very day during the week in which the Israelites would celebrate Passover, in which the Jews would celebrate it, on the very week, on the very day that was called the preparation of the Passover. That on that very day, that was the day that they would slaughter the lamb. That should blow your mind. So of all the days of the year, it could have been like February or it could have been October or it could have been August, it could have been any, but in that, in whatever month and whatever day they slaughtered that lamb, the traditionally, they would all do it together as part of their past, the preparation of the Passover, it was that very day that our lamb was slaughtered. John chapter 19, 14 says, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. Bam! The day and the hour. In other words, 6 a.m. when they brought Jesus in for the trial. It was that very day. Dude, come on. What is God trying to tell you through this story, through this imagery? What is God trying to tell us? And so just as the Israelites were able to rest in complete confidence that the whole earth could completely crumble around them and they would be just fine. Their sons would be just fine. Because as the scripture says, when the Lord sees the doorpost, uh, the blood on the doorpost, he will not let the destroyer go in. He will spare them. He will save them. Why? Because they've been covered. And they can sleep peacefully. Of course, until... There was this giant crying all over Egypt. And Pharaoh says, get out of here. And they left. And so, on the night of Passover, he executed his judgment, taking the life of every firstborn and every Egyptian man and animal. But for the Israelites, the Lord saved them. The Lord spared them. Now here's the thing. If you're like me, you're kind of thinking, okay, that's a great story, but man, it just seems harsh, you know? It just seems like... All these Egyptians, like, they didn't really mean to do anything, and, like, their sons didn't mean to do anything. Like, that's kind of mean. Like, that's kind of, isn't it kind of mean? Doesn't it offend our 21st century sensibilities to just wantonly kill some, a bunch of young boys, and even animals and stuff? This is kind of mean. But remember, this story is obviously um, historically true and also serving as a remembrance and a metaphor for all that God was trying to do in the world. And keep something in mind. You say, well, these, these people got a death sentence. 
And they did. But you know what the truth is? Going back to our little podcast I was talking about earlier, we all have a death sentence. Did you know that you were born with a death sentence? You've been sentenced to die. You go, I've been sentenced to die. I, I didn't do it. Are you not going to die someday? You're going to die someday. Is that not a sentence? Is that not a destiny? Is that not, is that not absolutely for certain the one thing, right? Death and taxes, right? The one thing that you can absolutely be certain of. You and I were born with a death sentence. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why? Why do I die? Why do we die anyway? Doesn't it seem weird? I mean, you're like, seriously, like it doesn't fit. Like we have all these plans. We want to do all this stuff. You know, you save your whole life. You work and you save for retirement. And then you're like, I'm going to retire. And then we're going to go sail in the Mediterranean. And then right before you leave on your trip, you die. You're like, that just got in the way. I had all these plans. It doesn't fit. Nobody actually says, well, you know, I'm not going to worry about next week because I'll probably be dead. No, you don't do that. You go, I'm going to, I, I'm going to act like I live forever because that's what you want to do. And then you die and it, just, it screws everything up. It doesn't fit. Does it ever feel weird to you? Doesn't, do you ever question like, what is the reason? It doesn't fit in all of nature. If it did, if it was really natural, then we wouldn't have such a problem with it. We wouldn't grieve so much. We'd just go, oh, well, okay, that happens. No, but like people are taken from us and we're like, why? But we don't have to ask, ask the question. We know what brings on death. We know how people die. You know, things stop functioning and whatever else, you get a disease. We know how it happens. We know what brings it about, but we don't know why. We don't know why. We just go, well, that's just the way that it is then why is it so brutal for us? Well, once again, we have an answer. The answer is, the Bible says that, the de that death is a consequence of something. It is a result of something. It's not something that was built into the world. It's a result of something. It happens because of something else. And what that something else is, is a failure on our part to do what we were created to do from the beginning, which is obey God. Our flesh, our bodies, our spirits as well, but our entire beings are utterly incapable of giving God the praise and the worship and the honor and the glory and the obedience that he deserves as being people who have been created by him and for him. We are utterly incapable of doing that. And so the Bible says that the consequence of sin, as it is called, disobedience, is death. It's not the other way around. It's not, well, we know we're going to die, so we're just going to be, you know, we're going to sin. No, the, the reason you die is because of sin. The Bible says this in, in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, rather. The wages of sin is death. The paycheck, the consequence, the earnings, the yield of sin, the result of sin is death. Sin carries with it a death sentence. And it's a disease that corrupts every single one of us from the very beginning. You know, King David said in Psalm 51, listen to what he says. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's an interesting biblical perspective on when life begins, by the way. Just FYI. You can file that away if you're curious about what, how Scripture interprets the beginning of life. From the very time my mother conceived me, I was sinful. I inherited this, and I cannot escape it. However... Fortunately for us, there are differences between the Passover lamb 
and our Passover lamb. You see, as I said before, we were given this death sentence, right? And so, I, I, so we, like, you never ask why. Why was I given this death sentence? I was given it because of sin. It's unavoidable. It's unescapable. This flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what the Bible says in its current state. My spirit can be redeemed, but this flesh, is in, it's, it's, it just fails. It's incapable. I cannot... It, it, will, it will have lust issues, pride issues, rebellion issues. It will have greed. It will have uh, manipulation. This flesh wants to always work against the purposes of God. And God says, it's got to go back in the ground. It's got to go back in the ground. So, fortunately for us, we have some differences between the Passover lamb that was slaughtered and our Passover lamb. And I want to give a few of those to you and then we'll be done. First of all, our lamb, Jesus, went willingly to the slaughter. Now this is amazing. The other lambs, they didn't go willingly to the slaughter. They were like, if they had, they'd been like, you know, running away or something like that. They didn't want to know. Animal wants to be killed. They didn't even know what was happening. Ours did. The Bible says that he willingly went. But you know the other amazing thing about our, our lamb? Is it wasn't just a guy sent by God to do his dirty work. The Bible says it was God himself. We have a father who saw the plight of his children, who saw our sinfulness, who saw the death sentence rightfully placed upon us and said, that's a sentence they can't pay. That's a, that's a payment they can't meet. That's a sentence I don't want them to carry out because I love them. And I'm not going to send somebody else to do it. I'm going to do it myself. What kind of, let me ask you a question. What kind of father, what kind of father would watch his children suffering and not step in? And there's so many people believe that about God. They go, well, Jesus can't be God. Okay, then, then that tells me a lot about God then. That tells me that there's all this pain and suffering. There's this death sentence that we have. And there's all this disconnection. And God's up there going, well, it's your problem. That's a sucky father. That's a sucky father. And I, that's, I, I wouldn't be standing up here if that was the father I was proclaiming. Who wants to follow a father like that? I want to follow a father who says, you need a substitute, and I'll do it. It'll be me. And so he became one of us. What does that tell us about God? I love the way J.I. Packer puts it. He says, our sins have been punished. The wheel of retribution has turned. Judgment has been inflicted for our ungodliness. But on Jesus, the Lamb of God, standing in our place. Oh. That's powerful. Secondly, Jesus' sacrifice was good once for all. Once for all. See, the Israelites, before Jesus, the Israelites every year would have to do this. They, every year they commemorate it. But the New Testament comes around and says, you don't need to do that anymore. Because what Jesus did, did it once and it's good forever. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 7. It says, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, then for those of his people. He's talking about Jesus. Since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. So when you place your trust in Jesus, you are covered for good forever. There's no need to stay up at night and wondering, worrying about God changing his mind about you. Or, or as they, there's a term that, that, that a lot of insider Christians use called lose your salvation. What that means is that to, to, to gain favor with God and then lose it because you did something bad. I, I, I'm, I'm not a huge John MacArthur fan, but I love one of the things he said. He says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, baby. Okay? If you could lose your salvation, you would. You would have, because you, you, you and I 
we would do things to displease God and he would be, but that's not what it's based on. It's Jesus died for us once for all. So you, you have this, you have this image of this blood covering the doorposts of your life. And so, that's what we do with this at the very end of the day. What do I do with it? Simply this. I paint the blood of Jesus on the doorposts of my life. I just paint it. There's some of us here who are facing some serious medical issues. And you're wondering, in your heart, you're scared. You want to be brave. You want to show that, hey, I believe. But deep down inside, you're wondering, like, man, when I, when I get there, when I get there, what? I'm afraid. Paint the blood of Jesus on the doorframe of your life because it covers you. Your Father has stepped in your place and paid. Sleep confidently. Rest easy. You're covered. Some of us love to batter ourselves over the past. Your sins. Oh, if you only knew what I did. Oh, if you only knew the kind of stuff I've been involved with. I don't think God would ever forgive me. I don't know what Bible you're reading. I don't know what gospel you're believing in. I don't know what truth you're ascribing to, but it's nothing that we would ever say. God loves people who commit spectacular sins. Just like ridiculously horrible sins. Because this blood is enough to even cover that. You know, can I tell you something scandalous about Christianity? We don't like to talk about this. We always say that, you know, Jesus can heal the abused. And he can. Jesus' blood can cover the abused. And it does. But you know, it also covers the abuser. No one likes to talk about that. But the abuser can find forgiveness and be covered. And when the rightful retribution for that sick and awful act comes over and ready to come in the door and pounce on that person for what they've done, the abuser paints the blood and the judgment passes over. Again, wrestle with that one. Wrestle with that one. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the scales. Well, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. If that's the case, goodbye. We're all, we're all messed up. You know, we're all headed for it. So some of us today for the first time need to put this blood on the doorpost. Meaning we got to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Today. And we just got to say, you know what, God? I've been a crappy person. And there's no way I can stand before you. But you built into history. You built into history a story of deliverance, of cover, of a second chance, of forgiveness, and of hope. And like I said before, it's like when the airplane takes off and you review, what are the processes? What, what's the physicality? How does this make sense? What, what's the logic here? When your little plane takes off, what are the, what's, the, what's the process? I'm covered. I'm covered. Because he said, he said, I put the doorpost, I put the blood on the doorpost of my house, and he covers me. And I'm called a child of God, and I'm adopted, and I'm set free. Oh, man. 
man, when I thought about that, I, I just got into this. I tell you, I got in this. I'm like, you know what that brings me to do? It moves me to worship. It moves me to worship because I'm like, God, there's nothing better. Like everything else in this world just just terrible compared to that. To that. It doesn't even matter. It's just stupid compared to that idea, to that love, to that story, to that depth, to that richness. There's nothing that compares to that. It moves me to worship and I hope it does to you as well. Because we're going to just sing about it again. So come on up. And uh, let's just take this in. The blood of Jesus covers. That's the Passover story. I don't know about you, but I've never been like a, some, some Christians really get into the Judaism a lot. And they like, they name their kids, you know, like Ezekiel and stuff. I'm just kidding. He did that. Um, but... But, you know, and they celebrate all this stuff. I've never really been into that very much. I mean, I love, you know, I'm, I'm all, I love the whole idea of Judaism, but I've just never really been into it very much. But the more you get into the depth and richness of the Old Testament, the more you see Jesus Christ written over every single, every single page. So, that's what I want you to focus on. And remember, your sins are covered. And we walk out of here free. So, let's go ahead and uh, it's going to get a little bit rowdy because it's pretty awesome. So, go ahead, guys. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if there's some, somebody here today who needs to just put that blood on the doorpost, say, God, I've, I've beat myself up. I know. I know I got some rotten stuff in my life. And I've tried to justify it. I've tried to make it seem like nah, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. But deep down inside, I'm not the person I want to be. And I don't want to be that person anymore. Today, I want to put my faith in a God who saves despite me, despite my actions. Today, I want to say that I believe that the sacrifice of the Lamb was enough to substitute, stand in my place, and set me free. God, for those of us who've been Christians for a while, but we just, we're just acting like we're not. We're just acting like there isn't really that, the blood doesn't really save us, and so we're just playing religion. God, may we be confronted brand new in a fresh way with the beauty of this story and the power contained in it. God, we're so, um, it's so easy for us to look at the culture, of popular culture of 10, 20, 30 years and, and think that somehow it has the power to erase what has changed the lives of thousands of people, millions of people for thousands of years. And think somehow that we can just, in our own, invent some kind of way of living that could supersede what you have put in place and what has been the rock and the, the anchor and the fortress for so many people who see their own need for you. And God, may we put nothing ahead in our hearts, nothing ahead of that beautiful story of grace. We are covered. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.